episode 341 of the Girls Gone Wad podcast. This episode is sponsored by Ned, the makers of our favorite CBD products. Our favorite people at Ned. And they have a new fantastic line made for anyone who has a period. So check it out. HelloNed.com. The discount code is GGW. What we love most about Ned is their transparency. So you can go on the website and check out all of these products. You can meet the farmers. You can meet the botanist. You can meet the artist that designs everything. You can meet the curator who puts it all together so beautifully packaged. This really is an amazing new line that they have. And they also donate a portion of all the proceeds for the NED Hormone Collection. It's donated to Period. So it's a global youth-run nonprofit fighting to end period poverty and period stigma through service, education, and advocacy. This is just a wonderful thing that we love anytime someone is doing something great for the community in addition to providing great products. So please go check out their new line for hormone balance, period ease, period soothe. The products are beautifully packaged and awesome, awesome quality. So that's helloned.com. The discount code is GGW. Thank you so much for supporting Girls Gone Wad podcast. This week, we welcome back Dr. Shaka Gillen from Coast Pediatrics. You may remember her interview with her husband, Dr. Scott Gillen, when they talked about creating the Warrior Clinic. And we wanted to have her back because we received a lot of questions from listeners specific to children, health and wellness. And she talks about kids, diets, what the heck should we be feeding our kids? It's a great conversation, even if you don't have kids. Send this episode to all your friends with kids and get ready for some great information from Dr. Shaka. Not only that, you guys know how much we love to have people on the show that we just love talking to. And she's just such an easy person to talk to, just such a good soul. We really hope you love it and find it informative and helpful for you and your families. We answer questions such as How do you look for a good pediatrician? Do you give your kids vitamins? What are the best books you should have on your shelf as a parent? Is it safe to feed your kid a vegan diet? And so much more. So remember to support your favorite female hosted podcast, GGW, by leaving us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Share with your friends, follow us on social media, or on Instagram. Join Claire underscore Facebook Girls Gone Wad podcast. You can email us girlsgonewad at gmail.com and send us a voice memo. We've been getting so many great voice memos. Cannot wait to share those with you in future Joy and Claire episodes. There will be many of those coming in the future. So please send us a voice memo. Let us know what you think. Give us some feedback or if you have something, do you ever listen to one of our shows and you're like, oh, I wish I could chime in on this. Like hit record and record yourself and tell us what you're passionate about or something that maybe struck a chord with you. Uh, We really love to hear your comments and your feedback. Thank you so much for supporting Girls Gone Wild podcast over the years. Now let's Let's jump into the chat with Dr. Shaka Gillen. So I do, just for my own personal need to like see the the um, track of your life is, because I know your sister is also a physician, right? She's a dermatologist. Yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah. do you have the family of doctors? Like how did your family just become Dr. Central? Well, to be completely um, honest, because we're Indian. I mean, we could either be doctors or attorneys. Right. Those are the choices. <laughs> Um, my so, my mom uh, recently said she was like reading the intro to a, a book about interior design that was written by a um, designer whose parents had immigrated from China. And he was like, so my options growing up were to become a doctor or a doctor. <laughs> I mean, that was basically it. And I went, I mean, I'd love to say, oh, I've known all my life that I wanted to be a doctor. But the truth is, is I was, I mean, we were in school. We were at UCSD, my, my sister and I. And I remember going like, okay, so what are you going to do? She's like, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm like, okay, me too. So what, what are the, 
courses I need to take to, to get there. And I think I really felt in love with being a physician in my clinical years. That's, that's when, so um, in my last two years of med school and then in residency, I just, that, that's where I really loved it. The science is super interesting. I loved OCHEM and CHEM, but it was more of the clinical aspect that, that when I really fell in love with what I was doing. Yeah. Was there another specialty that you were like, ooh, this is really cool, and you had to choose? Because yeah. I feel like yeah, there's I, so much mm-hmm. you could do with medicine. It would be so difficult to kind of narrow in on something. I, I actually agree. Uh, but I, I loved cardiology, and I, I thought about doing peds cardiology and then anesthesia. And I loved surgery, too. I loved the surgery. Um, but at the end of the day, I loved pediatrics and there was like no better comfort zone for me than when I was with kids. And so it's uh, pediatrics and psych are two fields that if you love it, you've got to be in there because everyone else doesn't. Yeah. There are, there are plenty of people, right? That (laughs) that are like, wow. (laughs) Yeah. Like you like kids. I'm like, yes, I love kids. I love, that's my comfort zone. Yeah. I'm. I'm completely comfortable when I'm in a room with kids. Yeah, it's the same with psychology because people will send us, whenever we would get children or adolescents on our caseloads, people are like, oh, I don't know if I want to see kids. I'm like, how do you not want to see kids? They're so fun to work with. (laughs) They're like my favorite population to work with. Well, I was like about psychiatry. I mean, I think if, if for us as uh, med students, like you either loved psychiatry or you didn't like it at all. Like they would teach you to be like, how do you position yourself in the room? And, you know, most of us are like, how do we get out of the room? So like, it's just one thing. If you love psychiatry, you go into psychiatry. Right. If you love pediatrics, you go into pediatrics. That's really interesting. So there's just like no question. You're like, okay, this Mm-mm. is where you need to be. So the last time you guys were on, we talked a lot about the Warrior Clinic, but this time we really want to talk about pediatrics specifically in your field and your expertise. So we got some questions that I think um, we can kind of sum up into some themes here. And um, let's start off with, uh, I think the one of the first things that came up with our listeners was nutrition. So what would you advise and what are the things that you hear the most about in your practice? And what do you, what do you tell people to do around nutrition? So right, nutrition is such a big topic, but it's, it's one of the most important topics of parenting. And I, I actually consider nutrition a parenting topic because it there's so many different um, different concepts of parenting that apply to nutrition. Uh, getting, having an education or or a background, or just doing your research on what's important for nutrition, and and basically making it a priority for parents to make nutrition um, a priority for their kids. And the, way, the basically the, your approach to how you feed your kids. And so there's so many different parts of it. But again, the the first one is nutrition is parenting. It is. It's no one-year-old is going and walking to the grocery store. And or at this point, maybe there are some one-year-olds that could probably Amazon it over to their house. But um, I've seen some that are like on their iPads and I'm like, what are you doing? Miles Um, could 100% order like a full grocery list (laughs) if I told him, if I gave it to him and like showed him the pictures. He 100%. (laughs) Right. So short of that though, I mean, we're, we're the ones that are buying foods, making foods. I always tell my parents that the first three years is basically their world is entirely what you present to them. So once you start having after three and, and, you know, of course, depending on what age you start them in school, but other than that, what they're exposed to and what they have available to eat is entirely on what you present to them as a parent. And so just like the rest of parenting, whether it comes to sleep or, and the word, you know, discipline, these are things that 
you have to make a choice as to what you want to give your kids. And so it's for, in terms of the nutrition, it starts from the beginning. I think the biggest, the two biggest things for me is real foods and limiting the sugar. And so I think yeah, you were going to say something. Oh yeah. Well, I was going to say that I just have to joke a little bit because we got a little bit of negativity, not a lot, but people who listened to the last episode where we were talking about the, I don't know, it was like the gummy bears or something, some gummy worms fruit that people, snacks yeah. fruits, fruit yeah. snacks in your office. And people are like, what's wrong with fruit snacks? I'm like, look, we're not <laughs> saying that you can't give them fruit snacks, but if you're coming to a doctor and saying, I have stomach issues and you're eating a fruit snack in their office, you kind of want to think about that. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And I'm going to actually say it's important to recognize that fruit snacks aren't great for our kids. Now, yeah, there's a question not, if you want to give it to them or not. Yeah. It's not like a neglectful thing to give them fruit snacks every once in a while, guys. But like, I think that that's the key here is like, we're not trying to shame people for their choices. We're not trying to say like, exactly. oh, you're a bad parent if you've ever given your kid this thing. It's more just like be educated. And I think anyone listening to this podcast knows like, yeah. I don't give them that as a healthy snack. Exactly. That's, that's exactly what it is. And it's like two, two big things that you said. One is the shaming. Nobody's shaming anyone. But I think, and and we all eat stuff that's not great for us. Like I'm the, I've always said I'm not eating perfectly. And we talked about that last time too, is that's, that wouldn't even be fun. There is a certain age where you do want to introduce it and a certain age where, or it's not that you want to introduce the, the gummy snacks, but it's okay to introduce foods that aren't healthy, but there's a certain age where I actually think that you really want to do your best to not introduce it because there's no value to them. So I'm going to go back to the gummies, the, the, the gummy snacks is that I think you do have to recognize they're not healthy. There's not, there's nothing that is good for a child from a gummy snack. It's not. So the fruit snacks or gummy worms or sugar, the, the processed refined sugar, there's nothing that a child needs from that. And that's an important concept to have in terms of physically. What they do get out of it is a social um, enjoyment. And so because we have it in our, I think we have to recognize that it's socially acceptable and it's socially everywhere. So when you go to a birthday party, there's not going to be. Right. I was just going to say, you're not going to make your kid eat something different when everyone else at the party is having cake. Like, no, who's going to do that? Exactly. It's a social gathering. Yeah. Yeah, it totally is. And I always give the example for my kids is cake. And there's not a single kid that's going to say, yes, I would, I want to eat cake every day. If you ask a two-year-old, a two-year-old knows that you eat cake once in a while. And the reason behind it is it's not the healthiest thing for our bodies. It's not good for our bodies, but we enjoy eating it. And your body can handle so much. It can't handle it every day. I mean, kids understand that completely. I think the fruit snack thing, I think it's great that you got a lot of um, negative comments because it's, it's just an opportunity to discuss it. And again, it's not shaming, but I think it's okay to say, hey, you know what? It's not it's not healthy for our kids physically. It isn't. It isn't. And if you make that choice, that doesn't make you a bad parent. It's a choice that you're making. And so what we need to do is make sure that those choices, I know for me, I need to make sure that, you know, from the time that kids wake up to the time that they go to bed, that they're the majority of the foods that they're eating are actually real foods. And so if they are eating the gummy snacks, the, all the processed foods and drinking juice and Gatorade, then they are going to end up with chronic disease and diabetes. So and that's going, just the track that they're going on. Yeah. So we're hmm. going back to the basics of eating real food, 
don't try not to buy things in boxes that are just filled with additives and whatever the heck else chemicals are in there. What about specific diets? Like someone asked about a vegan diet or something that's kind of like if adult if an adult is on a keto diet, like are, yeah, are, I also saw something on there like is keto appropriate for kids? Like yeah, like what? Just all those specialized diets. Okay, so those are great questions. Um, I don't like to use the word diet ever for kids because the whole goal for for kids and adults as well is, but I'll focus on the kids, is to teach kids. And kids are getting a foundation and they're getting it from us. And we're what I like to see is that kids, once they're a certain age, are eating what we're eating. But it's to give them a foundation and to help educate them on a lifestyle and the way they eat. We're te- Whether we like it or not, we're teaching them how to eat. And so I don't like the word diet because the word diet typically, and I'll use it too, I'll use the word diet to interchange with nutrition, but I really don't love the word because I don't want anyone to think that they're limiting or that they're trying to lose weight. Right. I, that it's, that it's like never. the verb versus the noun type of thing where it's like, this is your diet versus... Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly right. And so I never want to focus and we never, I, I'll have kids that come in and the parents are like, well, how much weight do they need to lose? There, there will never be a a number that a child needs to lose because children are still growing. Oh, thank God. So parents need- actually, I should, I should not ask this question, but I know they do. Parents do ask that to oh, yes. you in front of their children. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. People do. And but but no bad intentions. I know, but it's like bad. makes me so, yeah, that just, well, and it's, yeah. the intentions are good, but it's not about a weight ever. It's, it's, that's not it. And so it's not about a diet in terms of, like you said, it's not, it's, it's not a verb. It's, the a proper lifestyle. Yeah. Now, the whole keto thing is, I mean, when you go down to any of these um, these nutrition plans, lifestyles, and the thing is, is that most, what kids need is they need protein. So, you know, protein, healthy fats. So they need the meat, chicken, fish, eggs, nuts, and they need the vegetables. And they need the fruits and they need the phytonutrients and they need the vitamins and minerals. They don't need crackers ever. There's nothing in a cracker that they need if they're getting real foods. And I say if, because the majority of crackers, and and I'm just totally picking on goldfish because we know what that is, but the majority and any organic natural version of it, they don't have any food that, or any nutrition that a child needs. They, some are fortified with vitamins and that's great. But the truth is, is we should be getting those vitamins. So like when you see cereal, that's fortified, we should be getting those vitamins and minerals through real food. I know it's so idealistic and parents today, I mean, it's 2019 people are saying, Oh my goodness, that's not possible. My kids are such picky eaters there. Well, there actually was a day when all of the food that kids ate were real foods and there wasn't an option to be eating, you know, fruit snacks and goldfish as the food. And I get it. I mean, when my, I, so I have a 15 year old, I think someone had asked us, you know, do I have kids? And absolutely. I have a 15 year old. Did I make perfect choices? No, absolutely not. And I, you know, I look back and one of the only regrets I think I probably have is having not taken more action towards making sure that even the foods inside my house were uh, real foods that there really wasn't, I, you know, it's like everyone's doing it. And so like you go to the playground and everybody has crackers and everyone's feeding their kids crackers at like two o'clock in the afternoon. And so I get it or going to the soccer field and everyone's got Gatorade. But at the end of the day, he doesn't need it. 
he, he never needed that. There was no, there was no nutritional value to that. So if someone was to say, well, our family doesn't eat meat products or animal products, our family is a vegan family. Is that something you try to say? Well, I mean, is there anything bad about that? A vegan diet? Yeah. So, okay. So back the keto diet is fine. If the family is eating keto, great. There's, you're going to get everything you need. I, I mean, if you, kids are going to, and kids are going to have some bread. Now, I think that before I go into the vegan, I'll say that I do think that when the kids get older, I don't see kids being entirely keto because they do go to school. And they, what I don't want to do is say everybody's eating a sandwich and you know, you can't have a sandwich because kids do need to be socially um, normal. And so, and it, there's just, it's just not a big deal if yes, a child has a sandwich. Absolutely. It just isn't. Yes, yes, yes. So, yes, yes, yes. right. So, and, and I, I also emphasize this with kids with the whole gluten-free like, first of all, gluten-free is not a free pass, so you can't have 16 servings of gluten-free pretzels. But if you have a couple servings of grains, it's it's not bad for you, and it, it's probably actually okay for a growing child. So kids, but I, I, have, I don't have any kids. I do have a few kids who are keto. They're keto for medical reasons. You mean your patients? And it's been Just to clarify. Patients. Sorry, yeah. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I only, no, you're I'm fine. Sorry. I have one. I, yeah, I have one son who's 15. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, um, who, and then I'd say, and then some of so my patients. Yes, um, yeah. it's fine. I, I would always call are, my patients yeah. my kids and people get very confused. Yeah. <laughs> they are mine. They're mine. So I have a few patients who are keto and they are keto for medical reasons and they do great. And it's been really rewarding to see uh, how we can keep them off meds. But for all the rest of my 97%, 99% of my patients, um, I don't have anybody who is keto because all kids are going to eat something. And that's okay. It is actually okay. There's a much big difference between a child who eats two to four servings of real grains of grains versus a child who's eating 16 servings of crackers, mac and cheese, um, more crackers. You know? So so I think what, just to kind of reframe to what you're saying is if a family's choosing to eat a certain way and it has pretty good natural whole foods, that's fine. But let's just not label it, right? Like, because yeah, yeah. kids really don't need to be labeling their diets and saying like going to school and telling their friends like our family's keto and I'm keto. They're like, what is that? Uh, but I mean, so I think that <laughs> exactly. it's good to just say, sure, if you guys are in the realm of your family eats this way or eats a vegan diet, that's great as long as they're all getting whole foods, natural foods, not pumped with It's actually awesome. It's actually awesome. If mom and dad, especially with your listeners, if mom and dad are eating keto and they're making, it's amazing if they're eating real foods and their kids are eating real foods. Absolutely. I don't want to label the kids because the kids are going to eat stuff that's not. So if the parents are keto, your kids are still eating. Your your kids are eating pretty good food. Yeah. Like they're default to just having a nutrient filled diet and we're not concerned. Is that what you're saying? Okay. How and then about, can I, I'll comment on yeah, the vegetarian yeah. vegan because I know that you guys mentioned that a couple times. So the vegetarian vegan, uh, most of the time when I have families that are vegetarian, it's either like a religious belief or it's just the whole family's doing it for, it's not always for medical or nutritional um, reasons. And so I always look at it and I say, why is the family vegetarian? And if they're being vegetarian, vegan's a little hard. Um, but if they're being vegetarian and they're actually eating vegetables and beans and tofu, and they're eating well with real foods, fantastic, great. If there's one child who has chosen to be vegetarian and they're just eating toaster waffles and 
and crackers and granola bars. They're not eating meat, but they're actually not eating real foods. That's not very healthy. That's not healthy at all. And same um, for adults. So, when we when you hear about the term, you know, the cupcake vegan or whatever, where they're just like, exactly. sure, there may not be animal products in this cupcake or cookie, but it's still not the greatest and, choice. And they're, yeah, they're, they're just carbitarians at that point. I will say, and I know that you're going to get comments on this, is so as a pediatrician, when I have someone come into my office and their one child has turned into a vegetarian or a vegan and nobody in the family is, I do have some, there are some red flags that go off as to, because when a child now has a specific diet as a verb or that they're restricting, that can be this a start of a not healthy relationship with food. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Yeah. And so I, I do have to keep, and I'm, I'm a, I tend to just talk about it and I just tell them sure. right off the bat and I tell the kids right off the bat and say, Hey, just let's be careful. So I think, I feel like what I'm hearing is basically what you would tell an adult of like, Hey, listen, find what works for you. Eat mostly whole foods. You know, don't hold yourself to any extreme standards that are so inflexible that you can't function in social settings and you're going to be fine. Like, is there anything specific to kids that you feel like is something that you would say you are more or less wary of for a kid that you wouldn't say the same thing for an adult? Yes. Um, <laughs> that the kids, especially, so the kids are, you know, it's, it's, it's from birth to 18, right? And so depending on their different ages is really it's our job to make sure the food that's served to them. And so, whereas an adult, we get to make our own decisions. So the first, everything that you said was yes, right on. But then as a parent, we have a certain responsibility to our kids. We do. So that responsibility is, is that, you know, a nine month old or a two year old, we're not giving them juice because they want it because somehow they, they figured it out and we're giving it to them or to be giving it to them at this point, because, well, I think just it's important to know that they don't need juice. Juice is not good for them. Juice is not good for them. Um, Sugar-sweetened beverages is not good for them. And so I think that's important to know and that kids will eat the foods you give them eventually. They will. So you don't have to go around being a short order cook and saying, well, they won't eat that today. They eventually will eat it. So maybe today they won't eat it. And then tomorrow they'll be like, oh, I don't want to eat it. They will eventually eat the foods you give them. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. That makes absolute sense. And because yeah. we have, I have so many like picky eaters. I gotta mm-hmm. tell you, I have. Um, and so I, I, what I usually do is I ask patients. The first thing I'll do is like, okay, because everyone eats healthy. Or how are you eating healthy? Okay, what did you have for breakfast? And so breakfast, I, it always comes down to like, you know, what did you have for breakfast? Did you have eggs and sausage? Did you have avocado or did you have a toaster waffle with syrup? And if you had a toaster waffle with syrup, fine. Was it Sunday or, or was it a fun day or was this what you do every day for the last six months? And if you're doing toaster waffle and syrup, again, I'm not judging you. I'm not shaming you, but let's, and and I've been there where I'm like, wow, I think we've, you know, we used to do, I used to do lemonade as a treat when we went out to dinner. And then I realized we were doing that three to five times a week. So it's no longer like a once in a while thing. I'm like, wow. And it's just, sometimes we just have to reflect as a parent to what is our family doing? And so if you're doing toaster waffle and syrup, I'm not shaming, but Hey, maybe it's a good time to reflect on that and say, you know what, let's come up with something better and, and, and make some alternatives and swap things out and maybe not do it every oh, yeah. day. Full disclosure, Miles had toaster pancakes with syrup for breakfast this morning. <laughs> that is what like that, the souvenir I brought him back when we were in Canada a couple weekends ago, I brought him back his own bottle of syrup because he loves it so much. I was like, this is yours. This is like, <laughs> that's like his thing. 
And, you know, and as I'm listening to this, I'm like, he's having like crackers with dinner, like, you know, all of these things. But at the same time, it's also like, I know that he also eats whole foods with incorporated with that and that we are, uh, you know, we're very aware of what we're giving him. And I, as I, I, I'm, I personally am trying to take this all with a grain of salt. So I hope everyone who's listening is also trying to take that, that like, if your kid did eat, you know, toaster waffles for breakfast, like, because that was the only way that you could get them into the kitchen to like get your morning rolling, (laughs) then like, you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> well, that's, that's totally true. So even like when I, when I may say, okay, the, the, like the concept of the squeezies, if you, if that's what you can do, I get that. Like, so I always tell people with squeezies, like the, the packaged little um, pouches, if that's what you're doing, because you have two kids and you're trying to get out the door for work, I am not by any means telling you, you have to do something different. But if you're at home making dinner and your kids ate two and a half hours ago and you're got, you have 10 more minutes to make dinner, you know, they don't need a squeezy. They don't need a pouch at that time. So does that make sense? It's a little bit of like, it, it's just putting into perspective yes. as to like what you can do. Right. And by right, no right. means is there shaming. No. You were, oh, there was something I was going to say about breakfast. Yeah. So then some, some people say, well, no, no, they're too picky. They're picky eaters. And I'm like, well, think, think of, give them chicken, give them cheese for breakfast. But we don't have to think of breakfast as like a cake meal. So and, and you think about breakfast and the whole idea of where breakfast came from. And yes, in some cultures, it's, you know, a piece of like special cake and, and tea. But other cultures of what they like they break their fast with is um, vegetables and fish. So it's not, we don't always have to think that they have to, like you don't have to stick to the box of for breakfast, they have to have either, you know, toast or they have to have, uh, something carby, something bread. You can always think of some, they can have lunch for breakfast. People have breakfast for lunch. So you can have lunch for breakfast. So what about vitamins? The next one was really a lot of questions around vitamins, vitamin D supplements. How do you approach that with children? Okay. So, oh wait, can I add one more thing about the last question? Never restrict a child's n- nutritional intake um, if you're giving them real foods. So like th- that whole verb of diet. So kids you know, we've, we've talked with adults. We've talked with adults about time restrictions. Um, while I don't think that kids need to eat every single minute of the day, they don't need to eat every hour. They don't need to go to, it's, it's, we're so food obsessed with our society. They don't need to go the next place and eat and go the next place and eat. At the same time, a child who is hungry should be offered real foods. And what and about so, the finish your mm, plate syndrome? Oh, you don't need to finish your plate. In fact, I always say like, if there's something left over. Because people will ask me, well, are they eating enough? Am I giving them enough? Well, there was there something left over in the plate? If there was something left over in the plate, they had the opportunity to eat, they're fine. So you're, you're giving them enough food. So you never have to finish your plate. Kids, kids eat, and most of you guys will um, agree with this, is that kids eat, they'll eat like three days, a ton of food, and then they won't eat for two weeks. But they'll, I mean, they'll eat, but they won't eat to that quantity, right? So they'll, they'll eat a ton of food, they'll eat a ton of food, and then they'll go like days without eating a ton of food. You don't have to feel like, okay, as long as you they're offered good, healthy foods, you don't have to then, oh, well, they won't eat their broccoli, so let me go make them a pizza. Right. So like that's the if thing they were is, hungry, they would eat in the broccoli. Exactly. Yeah, because I'm thinking of my nephew who he would drink like this huge thing of milk before dinner and my my brother would be like, <laughs> and then he, cause, and they'd be like, I'm not hungry. He's like, because you drank all your milk. But it's like, you know, like let kids figure it out too and and you're not going to then all of a sudden be like, well, if you're not going to eat the broccoli, then I'll just make you pizza. Like, of course, you're not going to do that. <laughs> I'll wait. Like, for, uh, I, I would do the same thing. Yeah. I mean, kids are smart. I'd be like, They're I'll so go smart. ahead and not eat. And then I'll go ahead and have, 
I mean, because so kids don't understand the consequences. And that's why we're the parents. They don't understand the consequences. That's why I wouldn't have you know, ice cream four times a day, but kids would, because I understand the consequences of it. And so that's why I can't let them do that. That's why it's my right. job to make sure that I don't right. give it to them. Right. Um, you just asked the second question and I, oh, vitamins. Okay. So you actually don't need any vitamins. Kids should be getting everything they need with real foods. So with vegetables, fruits, proteins, they should be, or healthy fats, they should be getting everything they need. So you don't need to give a child vitamins. Vitamin D is really interesting for babies because it's a it's an AAP national recommendation to start vitamin D on babies from the time they're born until they're 100% off of an, an breast milk. So if they're either on 100% formula or if they're 100% whole milk at age one. Vitamin D is really interesting for me because I get it and I get the data that shows that we are vitamin D deficient and that we're just not getting enough of the sun. We're not getting enough vitamin D. And I'll tell you from my experience on the older kids that get tested for whatever reason, they're all low. So whenever there's a lab test done for any reason for vitamin D, most people end up, most, most of my kids end up low. So it makes me go, gosh, they really should be getting it. On the flip side of the conversation is I think that the next 10 years is in medicine is going to be, is the biggest topic is gut health and your gut microbiome. And we know that from babies from when they're, from before they're born, they're actually colonizing their guts. And so I have such a hard time putting anything in them that isn't supposed to be there. And so I often am concerned about giving them anything, including vitamin D. So I think it depends on and so the vitamin D. So most people, you know, everyone who's had a baby knows that their pediatrician says give vitamin D um, for that time. And so one of the things I would do is definitely look at the vitamin D that you're giving them. And so like some and what they're in. So some of them have, um, they're with coconut oil and the coconut oil is probably good for their gut health. Some of them is with some of the, um, Vegetable oils, which I wouldn't do. Does that make sense? Like if you read, if you read the the D, the vitamin D that you get um, in the ingredients, it'll tell you what oils are put in there. Right, right. That like not all vitamin D supplements for kids are crazy. Exactly. <laughs> so you so, mentioned gut health. Okay. So oh, did you want to finish your thought? No, around no, supplements? no. Okay. You I think, well, I think that I wouldn't give kids. I would not give kids extra stuff that are in vogue right now for adults. Uh, kids don't need it. Like the different powders and the supplements and all of that. I, I, I don't, I, it's just not in a place for a proper foods for kids. What about probiotics for kids? Probiotics for kids are also interesting because there are good studies that show that they're helpful for um, a ton of things, such as if when they're on antibiotics, stomach flu, there's just, there's a whole slew of medical um, reasons to take probiotics. I don't, I, I don't think kids should be given anything additional every day. If that's just my personal is I don't want to give them anything because I think that we have, I think that's in the future. I don't think we have enough information right now. So saying probiotics is like antibiotics or like there's an entire aisle of different ones and which one do they need? Is it you know, acidophilus? Is it lactobacillus GG? Is it ruteri? What 
actually do they need that's going to help well, them not only that, in a beneficial way? I read mm-hmm. some of Dr. Oh gosh, I'm forgetting his name. It'll come to me. But it was a doctor who okay. studies a lot on gut health. And he basically was saying, and this probably goes for kids. It was, he was mostly speaking to adults. that If you take a probiotic and you take one probiotic, you're basically colonizing that those strands of probiotics in your stomach, and you need way more than that. So he's like, so the best thing you could do, go outside and stick your hands in the dirt and get like the biomes from the air. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> so we're basically just by, again, we're being tricked to think that we need these things in our stomachs. I, think, I agree. And I do think that the, the future will be there, but we don't have enough information right now. And so for me, I'd rather just give them the real foods. And you're absolutely right. Get some bacteria. Get some healthy bacteria, not unhealthy bacteria. Right, so, right. He's like, um, <laughs> like his, his thing was like, get a dog because dogs bring in healthy bacteria and like make sure that you're right. just, you're not like sanitizing everything all the time. Like uh, granted there's bad germs, but he's like, we're almost, right. we're almost doing ourselves a disservice by not exposing ourselves to different climates, different altitudes, different, you know, if you go to California and then you go to the East coast and you know, you're just like exposing yourself to different air. He's like, that's the best thing that you can do. Um, Zach, uh, totally. uh, Dr. Zach, uh, I'm going to look it up while we're, while we're talking and I'll blink it at the end. <laughs> I'm like, his okay. first name just came to me anyway. But so for that reason, I yeah. wouldn't do it regularly, but I think that, so a lot of physicians will recommend it, um, during, if, if you're on antibiotics and just remember not to give it at the exact same time. And, th- but that there's actual studies that show exactly which ones you want to give. So lactobacillus GG, but again, that's not for every day. Right. Okay. Uh, I just, I think it's a good idea, but it's yeah. not there yet. Okay. Dr. Zach Bush. Okay. Right, Dr. Right. Zach Bush. Okay. I, yeah, I'm like, and I it totally came to agree. Me. Yeah. Okay. The next mm-hmm. question is discuss fevers and why they aren't the end of the world for kids. Or are they? Oh, okay. Wow. What a, that's such a big topic. I forgot about that. Um, okay. So fevers. Fevers are signs of, um, you know, it's your body's own response to um, an infection. Um, it could be from other reasons, but really we're talking about infections. And so I think that it's important to recognize when it's important and when it's okay. So there are, you know, s- certain fevers can be either too high or too, but basically if they're really high, that still doesn't mean it's it's bad. It just means that your child needs to get evaluated. If it, So we always say if it's over 104 degrees for a child over three months of age. And that, because because it can be a more serious infection and it's usually not, but for us, we want to take a look at that. If it's over three days, if the child hasn't had a fever before and then has a fever, that can be a sign of a new infection. And then um, if they're young, so a child less than three months of age, because they just can't hold their infections that well, they just can't um, can't fight them that well. So we always want to take a look at at the kids. Having said that, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It just means that we need to take a look at them and see what's going on. I'm going to make a note on this of for you guys that all of the temperatures that are taken, I think the bigger thing for me than fevers is like, how do you take the temperature? And so everyone's now taking it with these forehead thermometers and the ear thermometers. And I'm not saying that they're not accurate. They tend to be, they go along with, so if you do one on the forehead and it's, you know, your child feels hot, well, clearly they have a fever, but I have never seen such reported such high temperatures, like 106 degrees, and you're like rushing to the ER. Instead, take a deep breath, take one under the arm first. And I'm talking about kids over three months of age. Take one under the arm first. It's probably 102 degrees, 103 degrees, but it's not probably 107. So a fever, again, can be a sign of a more serious infection. It's it's something that I wouldn't get panicked over, but just 
you need to go into the doctor and get take, we need to take a look at you. Okay. We had two listeners ask about being currently pregnant and what are the resources that you would recommend for someone who is currently pregnant? Okay. That's a, yeah. Yeah, And then a follow-up to that would be how do they find a pediatrician? Oh yeah. That's, so that's a, the, how do they find a pediatrician is a really good question. I think that, I mean, the real, um, there, okay, there's several ways you can, usually your OB will have a list of um, pediatricians for you and they probably have personal experience too in your community. If you have other friends and that's my favorite way is through referrals because you know, the people that are going there and they have personal experience. There are like more, you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics has a list of them and clearly you can Google your list. And so whatever healthcare system you're in too, will have a list of them. But I think my best way is to talk to friends um, and neighbors because, and family, because that's really, you're going to get the idea of who the person is and if it's a good sort of fit for you. Um, in terms of resources, there's a couple um, good books. There's okay, so there's a ton of literature out there, right? There's so many books. I don't know, Claire, what you loved reading. I personally have my like two of my favorite books have been um, still Baby Wise. I just like the idea of um, Baby Wise, and I don't. I'm not strict to Baby Wise, but and I don't ask people to go exactly to Baby Wise, but I, I like that as a book. And then I love um, bringing up Bebe and. Again, there's parts of that that I don't love, but I like the idea of like taking a pause and just understanding that we all have this for parenting and it's, you just have so much anxiety when you're pregnant, but it's such an awesome, it's awesome. You, it's, of course you're going to do it well. And of course you're going to be scared, but it's going to be a great journey, right? Claire, did you have books that you loved? No, I'm thinking about that. And I'm like, I read Babywise um, and we, I think I more so just read a bunch of like Babywise blogs. And we like loosely did sort of the baby wise methodology with Miles. We have not done any of that with Evie. Everyone's like, what times does she nap? I'm like, oh, when she's tired. <laughs> like the second child. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, whenever we can get her down. Um, I actually kind of steered clear of parenting books because I knew that as soon as I opened that wormhole, I just was like never going to come back out. And that if I dug too deep into how other people did it, then I would never trust my own instincts. And so I've looked up, you know, blog posts or I've consulted friends or that's really more what I do is like I'll talk to I mean my mom or other people you know who, who are moms about specific questions but I was always so wary of taking on other people's methodologies because I didn't want to like I, I knew that if I put once I put that in my brain I was always going to be like thinking back to it. I think it's, I love that because, so I always say like, I have two jobs as a pediatrician. One is to keep your child safe. And the second is to help you be the best parent you can be. And so the best parent you can be is not me. It's, it's not me, what I'm telling you to do. It's not what one book is telling you to do. It's finding the parent that you want to be and finding the way you want to parent. Right. Um, otherwise we'd all be robots and we'll all be like doing exactly the same thing. And so I do like, though, I always enjoy people reading a whole bunch of different books, though, and then not getting too down that rabbit hole, but kind of reading the different books and then finding what, what fits right for them. Which totally. Just, just to be the right fit. Right? Picking and choosing the different pieces and piecemealing it together. In terms of a good resource, I do like the American Academy of Pediatrics has a book called Caring for Your Baby and Young Child, Birth to Age Five. And the editor is Shelov. And I can give that to I can send it to you. But and I don't expect anybody to even open it up. Don't even open it up. But it's a resource you can have on your shelf and go to um, you know, the index when 
when you need, when you're sitting there and you're like, my baby hiccups, is that normal? And then you can look up hiccups and look it up. Oh, I love I the do, idea of a reference guide. That's so great. Because then you like Googling, use it when you need it. Google. Yeah. Don't Google, yeah, just I mean, the use it when you need it. The you put in Google, it's like, my baby's hiccuping. It's like, well, like the first thing that comes up is these stupid forum message boards where <laughs> everyone's like, well, my baby was hiccuping and then they like, you know, yes. then, like they got Say kidnapped it. and that was how they, yeah, or like whatever. <laughs> it's like, my baby was hiccuping and like, then they died of SIDS that night. And it's like, holy crap, people. <laughs> Like now I'm like never. Yeah. It's just don't. Go yeah, to totally. Yeah. That is a, you couldn't describe it any better, but I think that like this, this reference now, I don't, it's like, it's a good reference. It's like a, a really good reference to be able to know when is it something okay. And when is something more serious I have on our website and it's, you know, anyone can go on my website um, for my pediatric website. It's coastpediatrics.com. And there's a part in it that's like re- medical resources and you can look up any um, sign or symptom, and it's wide. It's open to everybody, and you can look. And it's it really it, it's um, the AAP guidelines as to you know if your fever is this, then you should go in within this many hours, or this is okay, or I mean for you know for parents it's like this is um, lice or a common right. cold, or those are things that they can look up without having to Google it. Or so those are the two biggest things I use is that I use my, the website, and then I use the. Um, the, and ours is just, a, it's the regular um, handouts. It's, I didn't make up the handouts. And then there's um, the AAP book, which is a good resource, but do not read the whole thing. Yeah. Just use it as a reference. Just use it as a reference. Okay. The next question is, my 15 and a half year old daughter still has, still has not had her first period. Any concern? Wow. That's, that's a um, different question. And now we have a teenage girl. So, okay. So yeah, you know what? It, depends on, so 15 and a half can be completely normal. It depends upon when they started puberty, usually after when, from the start of puberty, which is start of, um, from the start of having breast buds to the start of a period is two to three years. So if it's been over three years, really like three and a half years, then it's definitely, um, something that they should get evaluated with their physician. The other things to look at is how old was, was mom. And then also it's, how are they in terms of the rest of their health? Do they have other symptoms? Does she have other symptoms? Is she has been losing weight, tired? And those are sort of things that if there's zero symptoms, started breast buds at age 13 and a half, you can wait a little bit. But if there's any other symptoms or if started breast buds at age 11, yes, you need to go to the doctor and get evaluated. Is it uh, later or delayed for teenagers or adolescent girls who are in sports? Because I and I know who asked this question. Her daughter is very active, and I just didn't know if there was a correlation with that. Yeah, it totally can be. It can be. Now, is that normal, or is that something we still need to look at? Um, it's probably something that I would look at, and depending upon the number of years it's been, it's so it can sure. be completely normal. Yes, yes, right. And it absolutely can be. Um, but I would just do this. So for me, if I had, uh, if someone called me and said, look, my 15 and a half year old hasn't started their period yet. They're in sports. I probably want, I would want to see them. There's probably a lot of reassurance and maybe a little bit of a workup if it's been a long time, but it's, again, it's probably normal, but we've got to just evaluate just to, to make sure. Okay. All right. So I want to go back to something that we were talking about earlier. Maybe this will be our last question when it, when you were talking about, you know, if, when you have, a parent in the office who's, you know, is asking if their kid should be losing a certain number of pounds or, you know, you never try to make it about weight loss. And I think feel like the flip side of that coin and something I want to hear your opinion on is how to confront weight stigma as a parent 
when the parent and or the child are overweight and, you know, how to approach that with your physician in a way that you know, you, you still feel like the whole picture is being seen, you know, that it's not, you're not just, you know, you're making healthy choices for your child. You know, that they're very active, you know, all these different pieces of their health are lining up and they're overweight and you, you don't see that as a problem. And, you know, I know that this was something that we talked about. And I, again, we need to have a whole episode about how body composition and health are not hundred percent correlated. So that's the question around, I guess the question I have is like, as a parent, how do you confront that with your physician? If either you feel like it, their weight is being emphasized to much? Or how do you go about as a physician having conversations with parents when you have a child who's overweight and you want to address you know, varying health issues? Well, a listener asked this question too, where she said, please discuss the new AAP guidelines surrounding weight discussion. Um, okay. Yeah. I love this. I, yeah. I, and you guys, I could like talk for an hour on this topic because it's such a deep, it's really complex. And the reason why it's so complex is there's so many different parts to it. The first part is, is that we are having an epidemic of chronic disease. And so physicians are looking for ways to prevent and make sure that kids don't end up with these chronic diseases, right? Um, I, I don't want them to turn, I don't, I don't want to miss all of that and just be like, it's okay, it's okay. Having said that, there's, there's a big a difference between having a conversation about weight and health, right? And so, and then there's the whole idea that as a physician, what we do, including, you know, our medical records automatically populate the BMI of a child. And so a BMI is, it's a tool that is kind of like one of the best tools out of whatever's out there. So maybe it's better than weight, but it's not a great tool. It's, it's a tool that really should only be used to be sort of highlighting something, but that doesn't mean a child with a high BMI doesn't, it doesn't mean that they are unhealthy, going to be unhealthy, going to have a chronic disease or even overweight. It's just a BMI. That's all it is. And so it's, I understand how, when you look at public health and being able to really kind of get the message to all physicians, you would use BMI, but the physician really needs to be able to look at this child, this family, and kind of look at overall where they're at. I'll tell you a lot of my kids who are tall will end up with a high BMI. And the real question to ask is, you know, what are they eating? How are, are they active? Like you said, and if, and, and so if it's a conversation that keeps coming up and up, it may be a conversation that the parents need to have with the physician without the child in the room. Okay. Because it may be of, because you also don't want to shame. It's one thing when we talk here and when we talk to parents, but it's really delicate to make sure that we teach kids what healthy foods are and how to make healthy choices without shaming them or making them feel guilty for, for example, when we, when I see a kid who, and if I want to be like, yeah, you don't need to drink Gatorade because Gatorade is not good for you. And their next answer is when my coach says it's good for me. So we really want to keep kids in a psychologically safe place. There is the whole guidelines as to preventing obesity and eating disorders in adolescents. So I think that one of the things that it really emphasizes is that what we need to do as a, as families is help kids really by, and the biggest way is by showing them, not even telling them, but just being role models and having a proper lifestyle of eating properly ourselves is that's like the first thing we can do. And then the second thing we can do is just really making sure we're giving them the right healthy foods. And I feel like it's such a hard thing, even as a, I'm always like watching myself to make sure I don't like say too much of like, you know, bad foods, but you know what, if you are, if someone's feeding their kid, a, you know, a toaster waffle and syrup followed by crackers, followed by granola bars, and then 
mac and cheese, then more mac and cheese, Gatorade and juice. I can't look the other way on that. And that's not that's not healthy for a child. So I think I had talked a little bit with um, Joy about this. And from the AA report, AAP report, there was like some um, recommendations. And I actually wanted to like read them to you because I think that um, I think there were really really good recommendations for families yeah, in terms of like so the recommendations for pediatricians to help prevent obesity and eating disorders is I mean that's the key. And so. Number one is to encourage families to eat meals together, and that allows parents to provide healthy choices and monitor their relationships with food, right? So you can see that a kid's actually eating, not pushing food around, or that they're feeling comfortable with it. The second one is to remind parents to be positive role models for their kids with healthy food choices. And that's, I think, huge. You know, if you we're, we're like, you can't drink sodas but we're drinking sodas all day long. That's not really a healthy relationship. The last one that they put, but I'm going to put it because I think this one's a really important one. It's for to recommend that parents stop talking about weight with kids, but discuss a healthy lifestyle instead. And I think that's huge. I'll tell you in my experience for me, I never talk to kids about weight. I do show them growth charts and show them that, look, you're growing really well. And it's important that you have to be growing. Kids need to grow. I definitely think that at home, as a parent, we can't be, we're the first ones. I can't, I cannot be asking or saying in front of my kids, do I look okay? Do I look fat? Does this make me look fat? Though that's really unhealthy for a kid at home. What we need to be doing is all of us need to be saying, look, I feel good with the way I am. I'm powerful. I'm strong. This is this is the body that I am that helps me do the things that I need to do. And so having that healthy relationship, I know that didn't answer your question because that's what the pediatrician's doing. But I think for me, it's the biggest thing is like overall in life, helping kids understand that they need to be healthy. They don't need to be, their weight doesn't right. need to be and lower or I, higher. I don't care how many times parents think that they're fooling their kids or kids are so freaking smart and they observe everything at a young age and they know if someone is on a diet and they know if someone's being weird around food or making comments about themselves like they will remember that it's totally it was a, it's astounding how many times kids will come in and they'll make such astute observations about what's going on in their family and I'm like, you're exactly right. <laughs> and the parents are like, yeah, totally. they don't know what's going on. I'm like, nope, they're exactly right. <laughs> like, they're so smart. But, yeah. They, they, they hear us. They know, they know what we're saying and they know what we're doing. Now, as a pediatrician, pediatricians should not be getting on someone's case for a BMI. If you, and, and of course it depends, right? So if you, you have the kid, you have a five-year-old whose BMI is high, weight is high, height, their height is high. And the first thing I'll ask is, okay, how's your lifestyle? What are you guys eating? What'd you have for breakfast? And if they tell me, literally they, they say, I had eggs and sausage for breakfast. I'm, and do, do, what do you drink? Water and milk. I'm pretty much done with the conversation. Great. Carry on. They're going to, they're going to be tall. They're going to be with the parents, right? If I have a 15 year old who's 260 pounds that I know we're not talking about weight, but at some point the pediatrician sort of stuck with, okay, do I just not talk about this anymore because it's just not going anywhere? Or at what point is it their responsibility to kind of push to, to be the advocate? So it's a hard conversation. I think if a child is, you know, a five-year-old or a six-year-old or even a 15 year old, and they feel like they've had the conversation with the pediatrician and they're no longer like, if you have a 15 year old who's lifting weights and is clearly healthy and the, the pediatrician keeps saying stuff, I just be like, you know what? We're kind of good with that topic. I have plenty of patients who come to me and even before I've seen them, cause they're doing their yearly checkup and 
I don't even know what their weight or anything is, but they'll send me a note and the nurse will give me the note and they'll say, Hey, we're concerned about this, but we don't want to talk about it. And so I'll give them a call later. I'll give the parent a call later. We won't even talk about it at all because that's not really a a safe, healthy conversation. If the parent already knows that it's not a safe place right now, they may be very um, sensitive over the topic already. They may be bullied at school. They may be. And so they don't really want to have that conversation. It's always better to have a conversation with the parent first. Yeah, I get that. That happens to me a lot. Okay. I have to, I have to tell you too, I'm pretty sure I've told this story in the podcast before, but last year at Miles's three-year checkup. So he goes to a Waldorf school and like every day they have like a different snack that they make. And so the day that he had his three-year checkup, it happened to have been millet day, which is like a grain, I guess. Right. I never even, I've never even prepared this. You're like, is that a so mullet? We, yeah. So we go to his appointment and the pediatrician is like, Miles, what's your favorite food? And he goes, millet. And she looked at me like all impressed. And I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is I have never eaten millet in my life <laughs> like but, his BMI is like huge and you're like carry on pediatrician's like great thank you right answer move on yeah um, <laughs> well and the, yeah and then she was like um his BMI is a little high I was like do you see my child he's we're fine but it yeah. was just yeah I, it, it's, I just always tell that story because I'm like <laughs> millet sweet yeah. you already you said Waldorf and I'm like okay say no more I already got it yeah. he's there growing <laughs> vegetables and at school I love it I love that um I think a BMI is not a great tool. It's just something that they have. And so is it something that we look at to kind of give a little bit of a red flag kind of thing? Sure. But it doesn't mean it's not like what's her name, Elaine from, um, from friends where it's like your charts flagged forever and you just want to get it off. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was a great reference. (laughs) But I mean, I, I think it depends. And if your pediatrician is just not getting it, then it's somebody's not getting it. So if it's if it's either the family's not getting it because they're just need to make some healthier choices, well then good for the pediatrician. If the pediatrician's not getting it, then maybe you know if you love the pediatrician, send them a quick note. Say hey, look, we're good because they may not realize it. But they really shouldn't be talking about weight as much as health. And again, to the person that asked, there is there there is really work being done on that. Good, good, good. I like that. Okay. So we're going to link to all the resources we discussed in this episode in our show notes, especially the books that you talked about, Shaka. Um, And then Dr. Shaka, your practice is at coastpediatrics.com, right? Yes, postpediatrics.com. So if you want want to search (laughs) all the the resources, yeah, and all the things that are on your website and questions. Yeah, there's not really a lot on the website. We don't have a lot on there, but the medical resources are good. Just go on the medical resources, fevers, things like that. That's they're they're um, like AAP stuff. And we didn't even scratch the surface on a lot of things we want to talk about. So we're just going to have you back as a regular and you can be our resident expert in this subject matter. And so listeners, if you you want to send us an email, girlsgonewad at gmail.com and and ask specific questions for Dr. Shaka, we'll have her back on. Um, I kind of want to leave a cliffhanger because Dr. Shaka, we can't get into this because we're out of time, but I do want to talk more about gut, gut health as it relates to diagnosis, especially around ADHD. I hear a lot about that in the clinic that I work in too. So I want to get your take on that if you have opinions. And then, and I know you're probably like dying to answer, but like, no, people just need a cliffhanger. Uh, So (laughs) so, uh, (laughs) listeners, you can also follow us on social, uh, Instagram, Joy and Claire underscore. We are really active on Instagram. So send us a message there if you have any questions um, and support, support the podcast. You can support us by rating and reviewing our podcast. Tell a friend, share with a friend. That is it for this week. See you next time.